Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, your opportunity to learn, to study your word. Lord, as always, our prayer is that by your word and by your Holy Spirit that you would be speaking to us, uh, leading us, guiding us, directing us, correcting us uh, when needed, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, that your kingdom would expand, then all these things that you would be glorified. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. There's a great story in Exodus 33 that, that I really love. And um, Israel has sinned again. I don't. They did something, and it was bad again. Um, and so God says, God gets mad, and he, which is and whatever. Um, yeah, God says that He's going to destroy Israel, and He would have been justified in doing so. But God says He's going to destroy Israel, and so um, Moses begs God not to do it. And then God has an interesting response, and I'm going to paraphrase this here. But God basically says, "Okay, I won't." destroy them. This is in the beginning of their, their walking through the desert, right? And so God says, okay, I won't kill them, but on this journey that's ahead of you, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to send an angel. He, like, he'll, he'll take you the rest of the way. He'll, you know, quality guy. He'll take care of it. It's great, but I'm not going to go because otherwise I might get mad and kill you all again. So, And that's a paraphrase. That's like, you know, paraphrase. Um, And Moses has this reply. In Exodus 33, verse 15, you can put the the verse up if you would, please. Moses said to him, so Moses is saying to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Or basically, don't send us out. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? And this is the line that I love. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Right? And I've just, I've loved that verse for years. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. It is only, only the presence of God that could ever vindicate to the rest of humanity that the Israelites were somehow distinct. Um, and that, this verse actually gets played out a lot of different ways. Um, there's lots of popular stories and God's uh, a presence making Israel to distinct, and one of those stories is the story of Jericho, which we're going to go over today. Um, Jericho, very popular story. We sing songs songs about it as little kids, that kind of thing. Great story, lots of good stuff on it. Um, Jericho is very well built, and we'll unpack this in in just a minute, but it it cracks me up, though, because the city of Jericho is very well built from, like, a military standpoint, and God's instructions are this, right? I want you to walk around it a bunch of times, And then I want you to yell really loud, and then the whole place should just fall in on itself, right? And then you go in and and conquer it, right? And also, I'm never going to explain to you why it has to be that way, 
So it's, that's God's plan, and that's exactly what happens. As a little bit of a, a backdrop, we're, we're in a sermon series. We're going through the book of Joshua. Uh, our, our theme for this series is Strong and Courageous. The Israelites have been wandering the desert for 40 years. They're, they're coming up. Um, they're getting ready to, to, to invade the land, conquer the land. This is a promise going back like four or 500 years. Uh, so that's a lot of time, um, all the way back to Genesis 12. And the Israelites have been instructed to, to drive out the Canaanites. Um, I'm going to read sections of Joshua chapter 6. I'm not going to read all of it. Some of it's a little bit repetitive. But um, let me just read uh, some sections of it to you, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Uh, on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, uh, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Big promise there. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. I'm going to skip the next section because basically it just unpacks some of that stuff. Um, verse 18 uh, but you keep yourselves, so this is afterwards, after they go in, um, keep, uh, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, uh, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. All the silver, gold, every vessel, vessel of bronze and irons are holy to the Lord. They're going to go in the treasury of the Lord. Um, so, the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. The wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. They captured the city. They devoted all the city to destruction, men, women, young, old, ox, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. We're going to skip the next action, some stuff on Rahab. Uh, they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasury... Uh, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Uh, and she has lived in Israel to this day. Then there's some stuff on Joshua cursing anyone who wants to rebuild the site. Verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. All righty. Pull up that first slide of um, ancient Jericho. So there's the map, but yeah, pull up the, the next one. So this is what they would say it, it looks like. Um, you can see a couple of, of key details. The, the city is heavily fortified. You have an inner city protected by a high wall. That land area covers about six acres. Then you have a second outer wall. Um, everything inside the outer wall would have been about nine acres. Um, the archaeologists have kind of like general rule. You know, it's like, well, 200 people per acre per whatever. Uh, they got their math. 
Um, so they estimate that regularly that very intersection would have had about 1,200 people, but we know that pretty much everyone went into the inner city because um, scripture tells us to. So lots of people packed into the city uh, in that section. Go to the next one. Um, this is, it's kind of grainy. In the bottom right, you'll see the artist drew in soldiers. So the, the city had, uh, let's see, where is it? So it's, it's just naturally on top of a hill. Around the base, they put a rock retaining wall. That was 12 to 15 feet high, just the rock retaining wall. Then on top of that, they put a mud brick wall that is six feet thick and goes anywhere between 20 and 26 feet high. Then, if you get past that, you have a steep incline, um, and then on top of that, you have another mud brick wall that's another 20 to 26 feet high. So as near as I can tell, um, if you go from the very bottom to the very top, you're probably looking about 65 to 70 feet difference between that. Inside the city, they had a very good water well that could have easily kept everyone alive that way. Um, at the time of the attack, it, they had just finished up harvest, so all the food supplies are piled up in the city. Um, and, just, and the more I learned about this, the more amazed I was, right? Because um, under normal circumstances, like they're set, like they have nothing to fear. As long as they have water, food, and arrows, like they can last forever in, in this setting. Like, just militarily speaking, no one's going to really get past that. Which makes it even more amazing to me that these people were terrified. Uh, we hear that in the story of Rahab. We covered that a couple weeks ago. The people were terrified. Uh, talked about their hearts melting, right, of, of the Israelites. Which I think is very much an act of God going before them. The other thing, too, is that they were set up for a very long siege. Right? Like, they were prepared to camp out in there for years if needed, they would not have been prepared for all the walls to fall down and then just immediate combat as all the Israelites storm right in. Um, go to the next one. So, this is Jericho today. Uh, you can go tour the place. I don't know if they charge admission or not, but, like, that's Jericho, uh, which is interesting given Joshua's curse about don't let anyone build on it. Um, so you can go to the place. They've done archaeological digs there uh, and, and that kind of thing. And um, it was interesting to me because, you know, in researching this, if you go to, like, I think it was like Wikipedia, some lady had done, like, a really thorough archaeological dig in the early 1900s, and her conclusion was, yes, the walls fell down on themselves, and yes, everything's been burned because there's a layer of, like, three feet of just char and ash, um, but... It all happened before the Israelites showed up, because she's, you know, and we're, it's like 1600 versus 1500 BC. But then if you go to like, you know, if you go to like the Biblical Archaeological Society or Answers in Genesis, they'll tell you, well, yes, the walls fell down, and yes, everything was burned, but the lady dated her pottery wrong, and so actually it's like perfectly aligns with what Scripture says. So there's kind of, you know, depending on which archaeologist you read about, they're going to give you different conclusions. Um, here, though, is my takeaway. The walls just fell down. Like, they, they all admit that. Like, the walls just fell down. They, they don't know if it was an earthquake or what, but the walls just went down flat. Um, they confirmed that it was burned by fire because they've got that layer of, like, three feet of just 
char burn stuff, um, they found jars full of grain, which suggests that they had not been under a long siege, because if they had been, they would have eaten that down. But they didn't. It's there. So it suggests that whatever happened, happened very suddenly. The other thing, too, that was interesting is that not all the wall fell down, only certain sections of it, so they have sections still standing of the outside wall, and they have houses attached to that outside wall, which completely correlates with the story of Rahab, who lived in a house attached to the wall. And even when you read the story, like the walls fell down, but they still went to her house and rescued her. So it suggests that her house and her section of the wall was still up. So, on whatever it was, the north side, there's a pretty good chance they actually excavated Rahab's house because it's still standing and still attached to the wall. Frank Lenahan is a, an MB pastor in Montana. Uh, he has a PhD in, like, Israeli studies or something like that. Um, early December 2024, he is leading a 10-day trip to Israel. And Joe and I hope to be on that trip, plan to be on that trip, and some of you should probably be on that trip as well, too. So talk to me. I'll get you the information. And we'll go see this in person. Take some selfies. It'll be a lovely time. So as you know, God gave Israel very specific instructions on how to deal with this, right? Walk around, blow the ram's horn, um, that kind of thing. They do it for seven days. On the last day, they go seven times around, right? So there's sevens, and you have the priests, and they blow, you know, and they blow ram's horns, but not the silver trumpets. And so, you know, there's kind of some symbolism and on that. And then on the last day, all the people yell and, and all of this other kind of thing. So, uh, you know, in, in all this, I've been trying to find you know, in my research, I was not able to find something where kind of that procedure directly correlates to us today, right? Like, it's not like, oh, someone new moved in town, we'll start marching on Thursday, I'll schedule the pep band, you know, and we'll, we'll do our thing that we always do for the new people, right? Like, we don't do that. Um, so, you know, is there a direct correlation with the marching and the yelling and that kind of thing? It may exist. I haven't been able to find it. Uh, so that's not currently a ministry practice we do. Um, but I do, you know, God gave very specific instructions to the Israelites on how to do this. And, and that was important, and they followed those, even though in the natural it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I will say once again, like, I am amazed by the faith of of the people and of Joshua. I'll start with Joshua, but, like, because these are weird instructions. Like, they really are, um, if you just kind of step back. Like, in a natural, they make no sense, and even the results seem a bit ludicrous, right? Like, you know, the wall's just going to fall down. That's the promise. 65 feet of wall, yep, that's just going to fall down on its own. Uh, maybe even a little ramp will form for us, and we just go straight in. Um, with, but, but the blowing of the trumpets and, and the laps and, and all that kind of stuff, none of it makes sense. And the other thing, too, is, as I've alluded to this before, I'm not aware of any verse that really explains why they did this or what was going on, right? Like, is this symbolic? Is something happening in the spiritual realm? Is this foretelling something that will happen in heaven? Did God just want to test them with weird instructions to see if they would obey, right? Like, I'm not aware of anything that, that really kind of impacts the why, 
I think there was something happening in the spiritual realm, and so I will never get to ask those questions until I'm in heaven. That's just my theory. But I do think that there was something going on in, in the spiritual realm, but we'll see. But bravo to Joshua uh, and his faith to obey without question. Uh, kind of peculiar instructions. For the Israelites as well, too. Um, so a couple weeks ago we were talking about Rahab. You know, Hebrews 11 is kind of this all-star list of people of faith and what they did and that kind of thing. And Rahab gets a sentence in there. The people get a sentence in there as well, too. Uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were uh, compassed about seven days. So the people trusted in God. Uh, they trusted their leader, Joshua. Um, but the thing, the thing about them that, that I would point out is that this was not a blind faith. This was a faith built on evidence. Um, not only did they have 40 years in the desert where God cared for them and they were, you know, fed manna from the sky and that kind of thing, but they also had the crossing of the Jordan River uh, on dry ground. And, and Joshua talks about in that section, like, this is going to be proof to you that God is with you on this campaign, right? Because they got another seven years of this uh, ahead of them. And I think for, you know, the same is true for, for you and I. Like, we have faith, and we're called to have more faith, but it's not a blind faith. Our faith is built on evidence, and we actually have really good evidence. I mean, just in the archaeological realm, which is kind of its own aspect, like, there's really fantastic evidence. There's fan We have, like, the biblical record itself, like, I if you look into that, um, is just unparalleled as historical documents. We have other good records outside the biblical record that speak of Jesus. Um, like, we have good archaeological evidence. Um, we have stuff like this where, like, the walls just fell down in Jericho and, and that kind of thing. And so our faith is built on evidence. And some of you have logged enough time as Christians like, you've seen the miracles. Like, don't forget those stories. Um, but just this idea that, that, that in many ways our faith is almost cumulative or kind of like a muscle. Like, the more you see of it, the stronger it should get. Um, so, anyways, I some stuff in there for us. The other thing that, that I note about the Israelites that I think is worth pointing out is that after they stepped forward in faith and obtained the victory, they were still faithful to finish out the task and give God glory in the end of it. Uh, cause you, and you could easily miss this, right? The walls fell down. Okay, we have the miracle. They run in, they conquer the city. Okay, victory happened. After that is where you have to decide, are we going to finish this task in obedience and give God the glory or are we going to quit early and not complete the task? And you will see that they are very careful. So they go in, they, they, they devote the city to destruction, they, they burn it down, they save certain items, they destroy certain items, they, they did all of that. So even after victory, they remember the Lord, they remember his instructions, and they obey him. They rescue Rahab. There's a whole thing on that, which is good, because she really gets commended as a woman of faith later on in Scripture. It is so easy... After something goes well, to sit back and say, I did that, all me, I'm awesome, good thing I stepped forward, that kind of thing. Don't do that. Okay? 
you are here by the grace of God, that victory was by the grace of God, give him the credit, and finish the task. When uh, Billy Graham and his organization would do crusades, they would always work with local churches for the follow-up discipleship, right? So Billy Graham and his crusade, they, they were like, we're great at evangelism, and we can draw the big crowds, and so we're going to do that, we're going to be faithful to our part, but it can't end there, right? We have to finish this task. So they would coordinate with churches and all that kind of thing so that after someone received Christ at the crusade, then immediately that there was a network that they could get plugged into and get connected with the local church to finish the work. Here's the other thing on this. Sometimes you, you hear a phrase and you're just like, oh, that's so good, right? And you know exactly what they mean. Like, they don't have to explain it at all. And it's just, it just it's so good. So here's, here's the phrase. Don't stop on the six. Don't stop on six. Um, seven days, seven laps, then the victory. If they had stopped at six, right, and they're like, nothing's in this happening, because at that point, nothing really had happened that they could see. God isn't doing anything. God isn't keeping his promise. We're not seeing any kind of progression. There's no cracks forming. Um, this isn't working now. We're wasting our time. We look like idiots. Like, a lot of people are staring at us. It feels very uncomfortable. I feel very self-conscious. Uh, everyone's laughing at us, right? Like, and you really have to go to the kind of the far corners of your imagination. But imagine if they had stopped at six. For the Israelites, the, the amount of just, like, bitterness and frustration that, and, 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 and loss of victory and loss of the kingdom and loss of land, they probably would have blamed God for it. And yet, like, they stopped at six. Like, it was only one more day. I don't know what Jericho you're facing, like, in, in your personal life, uh, what personal Jericho you're up against. But, but whatever that is, don't stop at six. I'm begging you, don't, don't stop at six. The other thing, as I was reflecting on it this week, um, you know, it was neat because Joshua was able to say, I've heard from the Lord, here is what God says, if you do X, Y, Z, I can promise you that this will happen. And God only spoke to Joshua on that. And then everyone else was like, all right, we're going to take your word for it. We're just going to go look silly for a week. And so the question, like, what miracles can I promise you? And I realized that there's only really one miracle that I can ever promise you, right? Scripture talks about a lot, but, but there's really only one miracle where I can say absolute, no questions asked, completely reliable, works every time, miracle beyond miracles— like this miracle, I can promise you with complete assurance that when we say yes to Jesus, right, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, confess that Jesus Christ, you know, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. When we do that, I can promise you new life. I can promise you receive the Holy Spirit. I can promise you that you have been guaranteed a place in heaven, uh, that you will become a new person, that the old is gone, that you become a new creation. I can promise you a new family. Greatest miracle in Scripture, God saving us through Jesus, 
That one I can promise to you every single time. And that one you can promise to others as well, too. Right? Without hesitation. Other miracles, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to put an out clause in. But that miracle, guaranteed. Christians love the story of Jericho. Great story, easy to remember, lots of fun, good for kids, good for adults. Uh, and when you get into the details, like, it was a miracle. Like, that was, that was phenomenal. Uh, Joshua acted in incredible faith. The Israelites acted in incredible faith. They finished the task. They gave God the glory afterwards. They did not stop on day six. They saw it through all the way to the end. But for us today to never lose sight of that one miracle that we can always count on. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Jericho, for its inspiration and instruction in our lives. Um, God, thank you for all that we can learn about it, for their faith. But Lord, thank you for that one miracle that we can always, always believe uh, will take place. God, thank you for your salvation, for your grace, and for your mercy, and that you made it available to everyone here. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.